This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad to be here this morning. I was thinking a lot about what it is that I wanted to preach on, what I wanted to spend some time with you guys about this morning. And I began to think about how back in April, uh, my wife and I went on vacation with her family. We haven't had the opportunity to do that before, so we went on vacation with her family. And during that vacation, I began to have a conversation with Jillian's younger sister, my sister-in-law, Cassidy. And Cassidy began to tell me about how she wanted to start this new Bible reading plan that would have her read through the entire Bible in 90 days three months, the entire Bible. This is how she wanted to spend her summer. This is what she wanted to do. She felt like she needed to do it and it would be a good use of her summer. And I'm listening to her talk and I'm telling her like, I mean, I've seen a lot of reading plans and three months just sounds insane. Like that's a lot of Bible to read in a short amount of time. And so she starts explaining this and how she really wants to use her summer for this. And she was asking if someone would be willing to read it with her. And so here I am, I'm listening to her talk about how passionate she is about this. And I'm also a pastor on staff at a local church. And I'm like, how am I going to say no? Like, of course, I'm not going to say no. So yes, Cassie and I started reading the Bible together. The entire thing, 90 days, we started back in May. And I have just, I've really been enjoying it because I've never read like that many, that much scripture at one time. I've never read through such large portions of scripture at one time together. And what I'm seeing is as I'm reading the Bible like this, I'm picking up on themes and repetitions, and it's been just really ministering to my heart. And it's been really interesting to me to see how the themes that I'm noticing in scripture are resonating with specific needs that I need right now in my season of life. For instance, one of the things that I've been noticing a lot in the scripture, specifically as I've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament, is God's desire for his people to come to him and to trust him with all of life. Not just for the big things, but for the small things, to look to him as their provider. This is clearly God's heart. You see it all over scripture from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden to the story of Noah building the ark, to the story of Abraham being called to leave his home and to go into a foreign land with no descendants, to Joseph rising to power in Egypt, to Moses and the Exodus and Joshua and beyond, you see very clearly as you read through the Old Testament, God desires for his people to trust in him alone, to look to him as their provider. And that theme has been resonating with me a lot in my season of life. Because I'm in a season in which I very tangibly feel my need for God's provision, for God's guidance. Like I think about it just in a ministry context. Those of you who are not involved with the college ministry may not know that we experienced some incredible things this year. The college ministry has continued to grow. We've seen so many amazing students come and plug in and be a part of what we're doing at Prince. We've baptized several students. We've seen several students raise, rise up and want to be leaders in our ministry and in this church, leaders who genuinely love Jesus and desire to be a part of advancing his kingdom, both locally and globally. And I'm so excited about that. And as I think about 
August and the new school year coming and the leaders that we have in place, I am fired up because we are poised to make a tangible impact in this city and beyond for the glory of Jesus. And I believe that God wants to do something like that in our day. And I'm asking, why would he not use us? And I'm so excited about that. And as I think about that, I think about my earnest desire to steward that well. Like I really want to lead well in these moments. I don't want to be content with what happened last year. I want to be a part of God continuing to use our college students for the advancement of his. I want to be a part of God doing something significant in the lives of university students in the city of Athens on the University of Georgia's campus. I want to be a part of sending college students from this place to the ends of the earth for the advancement of God's kingdom. But as I think about that, I just, I tangibly feel my powerlessness to make that happen. My powerlessness to manifest that in any power of my own. And I feel my need for God's provision, for his guidance. I think about it in my personal life. I think there's some decisions that Jillian and I are trying to navigate right now that don't have like black and white answers. They're not cut and dry and we need God's wisdom. We feel our need for his provision and for his guidance. And my guess is this morning in a room this size, I'm not the only one who feels that. We know that we need God's direction. We need God's guidance. We need God's provision. You see, we come together on Sunday mornings like this, and this is a joy, and I love these moments that we share together. But if we're being honest, there's many of us in the room this morning that are keenly aware of our tangible need for God's provision and guidance in our specific, in specific areas of our life. We realize that we don't need God just for a few moments on Sunday, but we need him every single day. What we need is daily provision. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus is the second book in your Bibles. It's quickly becoming one of my favorites. In the book of Exodus, we very clearly see God's heart for his people. And before we dive into chapter 16, we need to do a little bit of catch up and make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, some of you may know that the book of Exodus opens up and it introduces us to a new king who has come into power in Egypt, a king who is referred to as Pharaoh. And Pharaoh begins to enslave the people of God, that the people of Israel had grown to a massive number and Pharaoh enslaves them out of fear. He's afraid that if they rise up against him, that they would take him over. So he begins to make their lives hard with labor. And the people of God, the people of Israel begin to cry out to God because of their burdens. They cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears them. And so God raises up a leader by the name of Moses. And he sends Moses and his brother Aaron to appear before Pharaoh and to petition Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. That's the VBS song that we learned, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Uh, anyways, that was an awkward moment. It's fine. Uh, he petitions the people of God. He petitions Pharaoh to let the people of God go. And Pharaoh does not relent. So God brings what we commonly refer to as the ten plagues. Tangible representation of God's power and his authority and his might and his control over all things. He brings plagues upon the people of Egypt to demonstrate his ultimate control. And after much resistance, Pharaoh eventually relents. 
and he allows the people of God to leave Egypt. And the people of God are set free and they begin to wander out of Egypt. But as soon as they begin to wander out of Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends his armies after them. And right before where we're going to pick up this morning, there's a scene where the people of God are come to a massive body of water. And there's this massive body of water in front of them. And the armies of Pharaoh are behind them. And it would seem like they're in their loss. It's without hope that they just are in an impossible situation. But God parts the waters and they walk across on dry, land, dry ground. And the armies of Pharaoh come after them, but the waters come crashing down. And so God delivers them again. And the Bible tells us that the people rejoice that they are overcome and they worship God for this miraculous deliverance. And then right after that story, there are three stories in which God begins to test his people. The first story is about bitter water being made sweet. The second story is in Exodus 16, which we're gonna look at this morning, which is the story of manna coming down from heaven. And the third story is about water coming from a rock. And in these three stories, we see God begin to reveal something to his people. So we're going to pick up in Exodus 16, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. I love doing that. That's awesome. Exodus 16, 1 through 3 says this. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, let's pause right there and let's talk about this. Let's picture this scene for a second. This text tells us this is a very short time after they had left Egypt. Not much time has passed at all. And you would think that this would be a moment in which the people are still riding high. That they're still so excited by the victory that they had seen in the name of the Lord. Like, think about our context. Like, it is June. We're several months removed from January, but for those of us who are dog fans in the room, we're still talking about that second national championship, right? We're still excited by it. You would think that these people who've experienced something monumentally greater than that, the liberation of a nation, you would think that they would still be so overcome with gratitude and awe and wonder at what the Lord had done. That's not what we see. Instead, we see the people begin to grumble and complain. They come to Moses and to Aaron and their leaders, and they begin to complain and grumble. And what we see is that these people go from rejoicing to complaining very, very quickly. And what, be, what seems to be the issue for this newly freed people? What seems to be the issue for the people of God? Well, the issue is that they're hungry. And in their hunger they had started to get a little dramatic. And before we like look down on the Israelites, we can all admit, like we've been there, 
right? It makes me think of those old Snickers commercials, like, you're not you when you're hungry, right? We all know what it's like to get real hungry, and we know that hungry turns to hangry real quick. We've been there. We feel that. That's a little bit of what's happening in the lives of the Israelites here. But in their hunger, in their just state that they are in, they begin to complain. But as you begin to dig into that complaint a little bit, you realize that there's something lurking underneath the surface. Look again with me at verse three. Listen to what the people say. They say, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Well, at first, this looks like just a complaint from a really hungry group of people. But as you dig a little deeper, you begin to realize that these people are actually beginning to express their distrust in God. Like, think about this with me. Think critically about this with me for a moment. Listen to what the people are saying. They're saying, we'd rather be back in Egypt. At least in Egypt, we had something to eat. We'd rather have just lived and died in Egypt. Listen to what they're saying. What they're essentially saying is this. We'd rather be in slavery and have food than be in the position we're in right now. Whenever you begin to analyze that, you begin to see that these people are actually expressing their unbelief in God. That they've experienced God do the miraculous in the past, but now they're in a moment where they're hungry and they wish they had never left Egypt in the first place. They'd rather be in bondage than walk into freedom. That's what they're saying. You gotta ask the question, why? Why would these people respond this way? You gotta think, these are people who had been in bondage for years. These are people who are familiar with the bondage. They knew what to expect in the bondage. There was a whole lot less trust involved in the bondage. These are people who had grown accustomed to their chains. And even though they had seen God move in power in the past. They are not willing to trust him to provide for them in the present. And so these are people who would rather go back to bondage where they think they have more control than trust God and step into freedom. Than depend upon God and step into the freedom that he is inviting them to. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Because you see, this is one of those stories where it's really easy to read it and just kind of like shake your head at these people. Like, come on, Israelites. Like, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Seas. Do you not think that the God of the universe could take care of a little rumbling in your tummy? Like, come on, have a little faith. But the more you think about that and the more I thought about that, I realize that we're often a people who do the exact same thing. The dependence is hard for us too, right? Like we don't want to be dependent upon anyone or anything. I'd say that's a marker of the culture in which we live. That we live in a context, in a culture of affluence and plenty. And the reality is, for the majority of us in this room this morning, we have more than enough for what we need on a daily basis. And so the reality for us is that it's really easy sometimes for us to buy the lie that we don't need God, at least not for the daily things. 
that we have our own money for that. We have our own resources for that. We have our own connections for that. The emphasis in our culture is all on us, on our ability, on our control, on our independence. And if we're being honest, dependence almost sounds like a bad word. So we're a people who have a tendency to chase after that which we think will give us the most control and the most independence. So we chase after things like career success and trying to climb the next rung of the metaphorical ladder because at the next rung comes a higher paycheck and with that higher paycheck comes more control, more security, more independence. We chase after things like the approval of others because we believe that we can control what others think of us, then we might experience that validation and acceptance that we crave. We chase after things like pleasure because we believe that these temporary pleasures will satisfy the deepest longings within. But all of those attempts are just attempts at the same thing, the attempts to grasp at control. So here we sit in 2023, and we may not be longing for the meat pots back in Egypt, but we all have things that we long for, things that we believe will bring us more control, things that we believe will bring us more security, things that we believe will bring us more independence. But the only problem is, in our pursuit of this independence, we realize that these things don't actually lead to freedom, but they lead us to more bondage. So they promise freedom, but they can't deliver. So in pursuit of independence, we really end up enslaved that we chase after career success, but we end up enslaved to our pursuits because just a little more is never enough. We chase after the approval of others and we end up enslaved to the opinions of people that we don't even care about and who certainly don't care about us. We chase after the pleasures of this world and we end up enslaved to our own addictions and to our own desires. And what's worse, it's whenever we get into a truly difficult time in life and things really hit rock bottom, we realize that these things that we've been chasing after that promised our security, that promised our independence, that promised our freedom, that they don't actually deliver and we're actually left with nothing. That we spent all this time chasing after the wrong thing. We've chased after the illusion of control. And the truth that I want us to reckon with this morning is that we might be far more like the Israelites than we may care to admit. That there may be some of us in the room who would rather remain in those places of bondage because we too have become accustomed to the chains. That we believe the lie that our control will lead to our freedom and it's easier for us to stay in that bondage and grasp at control than it is to place ourselves in a position of dependence and to trust in God. But a desire to maintain independence is keeping us bound. It's not setting us free. But we've been invited to pursue something different. We've been invited to look to the God of the universe, the one who is in control of all things, the one who actually has control, who actually has authority. And we've been invited to trust our lives to him, but it will require us to put ourselves in a position of dependence and to stop insisting on our own independence, to stop grasping at control. This is what God's trying to teach the Israelites. 
he's putting them in a position where they're going to have to choose. Will you continue to insist on your own independence or will you actually depend upon me? As we continue to read, we see that he outlines this test and he tells them exactly what he's about to do. If you read through the rest of Exodus 16, which we're not going to do this morning for the sake of time, what you will see is God begin to describe exactly what he's about to do. He says, I have heard the cries of the people. He knows that they are hungry, so he offers a solution and he says, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven. That daily provision is about to come through the raining down of bread from heaven. And he gives these people in specific instructions regarding this bread. He says that they're to go out each day and gather this bread, but only gather enough for what they need every single day. That he will provide, but they have to go out and gather it. That's significant. I want you to hold on to that thought. Like the people have to go out and gather that which the Lord has provided you realize that if the Lord wanted to, he could have made bread just appear in their tents, but he doesn't do that. He makes them go out and in faith and gather that which he has provided, going after that which he provided. Pastor Josh talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that one of the primary ways that God provides for us is through our working and giving us the ability to work. That's part of what the Israelites are learning here, that he's not gonna spoon feed it to them. They have to go out in faith, trusting that the Lord will provide. But there's a limit put on this. They're instructed to only gather that which they need, no more and no less. They're to gather everything they need every single day, waking and gathering. And on the sixth day, they're to gather enough for two days. So that on the seventh they can actually take a day to rest, what the Bible calls a Sabbath, an entire day set aside to rest and to admit that we're not in control and we belong to the one who is. That's what Sabbath is all about, which is a sermon for a different time, maybe the next Sunday I preach. But this is the test that the Lord lays out. He gives them these instructions. Gather each day what you need. If you try to gather more and save it for the next day, it will spoil. On the sixth day, gather enough for two days. If you go out on the seventh, there will be none. This is what the Lord says. And it's exactly what the Lord does. The people wake up the next morning and there's this bread on the ground. And the text tells us that they call it manna. And in the original language, that means, what is it? Because there's nothing, they've never experienced anything like this before. This is miraculous provision from the Lord, him giving them exactly what they needed. So they say, what is it? This is manna. And so they begin to eat it. And he, what we see is that God is teaching these people the value of daily dependence. He's teaching them to surrender, to trust, to depend upon him. You got to think about this. These are people who had already seen his miraculous salvation. They'd seen the 10 plagues. They'd seen the parting of the seas. But now they didn't just need to see his miraculous salvation. They needed to see his daily provision. And they needed to learn not to trust in their own independence, but to put themselves in a position of dependence on God alone. What we see in Exodus 16 it's God extending an invitation to his people, an invitation to depend upon him, an invitation to daily dependence. And this invitation, it comes with a paradoxical truth. The truth is that freedom is not found in our independence, but in our dependence. There's a main point for this morning. If you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to write this down. It's this, is that daily dependence upon God 
is the path to freedom. Daily dependence upon God is the path to freedom. This is what God is teaching these people. He's teaching them that freedom will not be found for you back into Egypt, back in Egypt where you can control your food intake. That yes, you may be fed, but you will still be in chains. He's teaching them that true freedom will be found whenever you place yourself in a position of dependence upon God alone. Where you learn to trust him to provide for you in all of life. Where you let him provide for you. This is the way that you step into freedom. This is what the test is all about. This is what God is doing in the lives of the Israelite people. He's asking them, will you depend upon me? Will you continue to insist on your own independence? Or will you trust in me? This is the test. And spoiler alert, the people fail it big time. They do. Like... From the get-go, in Exodus 16, we see that they have been told, do not hoard more than you need. But there, guess what? There are people that hoard more than they need. And they, they're afraid that it's not going to come back, so they hoard more than they need, and they wake up the next morning, and it's all spoiled. They have been told not to go out on the seventh day to gather, to actually rest, to actually take a Sabbath, to actually trust that God was in control. But guess what? There are people who go out to gather on the seventh day, and there's none to be gathered. But even in their failure... God is true to his word. And each day he provides exactly what these people need. And over time, the people begin to get it. And the people of God experience the provision of God for 40 years. Each day, waking and gathering. Each seventh day, resting and trusting. And over time, learning to trust in God's provision and through daily dependence, they eventually step into freedom because God rains down manna from heaven every day of their lives, excluding the Sabbath for 40 years until they eventually step into the promised land. That's what happens. And so they begin to realize that their God is not just the God of miraculous salvation, that he is the God of daily provision. I just, I've been thinking about that so much in my life here recently because this is what I want for my life. This is what I want for us as a people. This is what I want for us as a church. I want us to see God this way, that he's the one who provides for everything that we need. The reality is so many of us are bound in cycles of sin and shame and anxiety and fear. And what undergirds a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of that is our lack of dependence upon God. And our unwillingness to trust God with specific areas in our life. And I want us to be people that realize that God is not just a God of the big miraculous moments. God is the God of every single moment. And he cares for you. Dependence upon God is the path to freedom. What I want you to realize is that God's heart for his people in the wilderness is still his heart for you today. To look to him for all of life. That's why whenever Jesus appears on the scene, Jesus, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully man. And he begins to teach his disciples what it means to walk in the way of God and follow after God. There's a beautiful scene in Matthew chapter six where he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's commonly referred to as the Lord's 
prayer. Probably the most famous prayer recorded in all of scripture. I imagine many of you in the room know it by heart. And he says to the people, he says, whenever you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what's the next line? Come on, you can do it. What's the next line? Give us this day our daily bread. Undoubtedly, with this story in mind, Jesus teaches us to look to God as our heavenly Father and to trust that he's the God of the big moments. And he tells us to pray for the big moments, to pray for the coming of the kingdom, that we want God's kingdom to rule and reign here on earth, that we want his kingdom to advance in every corner of this earth for his glory alone. But he also tells us to pray for the daily needs, to pray for our daily bread, to pray for the big things and the small, to look to God as our loving heavenly father who cares about it all and to trust him with all of our lives. I think this is an important message for each of us this morning. No matter where we are in our journey with the Lord, I want us to be people that remember that God is not just the God of big moments, that he's the God of every moment. The reality is, in the culture in which we live, in the context in which we live, we can very easily become people who look to God for the big monumental moments, who look to God whenever we need the Red Sea parted. But in all the rest of life, we just act like everything depends upon us. We trust in us. We trust in our own ability. We trust in our own understanding. We trust in our own wisdom. We trust in our own power. And I'm just telling you, if that's the people that we are, that's a recipe for some weak faith. That's a recipe for more stress, more bondage, not more freedom. And instead, I want us to be people who understand the truth of this passage, that God wants us to trust him with all of life, not just the big salvation moments, but for the provision, the daily provision. And you may ask, what in the world does that look like? I mean, last time I checked, God's not like raining down bread from heaven on Highway 78 here. So what does it look like for me to trust in God's daily provision? Well, God may not be raining down bread from heaven every day, but there absolutely is one who came from heaven to earth. One who called himself the bread of life in John chapter six. That is no coincidence. One who secured our miraculous salvation in his life, death, and resurrection. And one who promises to be with us to the end of the age. And that one's name is Jesus. And we, like the people of Israel, need to learn to go after that which the Lord has provided. Rising each day and going after Jesus. Spending time with Jesus, learning to bring the cares of our life to Jesus, the big and the small, and learning to intentionally acknowledge our need. So what does that look like? It looks like getting real and being honest and asking yourself the question, what areas of my life am I grasping for more control? What areas of my life am I grasping for more independence? And how can I begin to bring those things to the Lord and open my hands and ask that God would help me to be a person who is more dependent upon him? It looks like stopping insisting on our own independence and to start admitting our true dependence. That whenever a situation is difficult and whenever we're in the wilderness of life and we're craving for something that satisfies, we look to him 
and not our own selves. Acknowledging him, trusting in his ways and not in our own ways. So we go to God with that financial situation that has you really worried and it's keeping you up late at night. We go to God with those things that are going on at work that are just making us really uncomfortable. We go to God with that situation in our kids' lives, situation at school, with our friends, with our families, with our health, and we learn to bring all of these things before the Lord because he cares about it all, and we ask him to help us trust that he's not just the God of big moments, but he's the God of every moment. See, to use a big theological word, what we believe about God is that he is sovereign. And what that means is that he is in ultimate control, that he has ultimate power, that he has ultimate authority. And can I just tell you that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who belong to Christ Jesus, there is no better news than that, that our God is in control, that he is sovereign. Let me just tell you, I am a person who has dealt with so much anxiety, so much fear, so much desire for control over situations of my life that I have no control over, and it has kept me bound for a long time. And the way that I've been thinking about this recently, this has been helpful to me, perhaps it'll be helpful to you, is that God's sovereignty is my security. God's sovereignty is my security because he is in control and because he is good and because he loves me, I don't have to worry about the things in this life. He is good because he is in control. I don't have to be. I can let go. And that's what I want for you. I want us to get good at looking to God for all situations in life and letting that daily dependence help us step into more freedom. And I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that if you just simply go to God and you just pray about that situation in your life that you're worried about, that he's going to rain down a solution in the immediate. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that we need to get better at relinquishing control and admitting that we're not in control of all things, but we belong to the one who is. And we can trust these situations to him because we are told in scripture that he is working all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And he's working even whenever we are not. And we can trust that in the end, he will make all things right. And so we can trust. And as we begin to daily depend upon him, we too can experience a freedom in our souls. So here's what we desire as a church. We desire to be a church that is a part of seeing God's kingdom spread both locally and globally, that we want to be a visible representation of God's presence in our community and to the nations. We want to be used for the advancement of God's kingdom. But can I just tell you that's never going to happen if we only look to God for the big moments. We need to learn to trust God with all of life. That's the kind of faith that will have an impact for generations to come. I want to show you one more thing and then we'll be done. If you have your Bibles... Look at the end of Exodus 16, verses 32 through 35. It says this. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it, and he's talking about the manna, let an omer of the manna be kept throughout your generations so they may see the bread in which I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony or the Ark of the Covenant 
to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years until they came into habitable land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This is significant because what we see is that the people of God learn to trust in the provision of God. They are told, they are instructed to take some of the manna and to place it into the Ark of the Covenant, which would remain with the people for generations to come. And let me tell you what's significant about that. Notice that there's nothing that they're instructed to keep from the 10 plagues and put in the Ark of the Covenant. There's no water from the Red Sea that's kept in the Ark of the Covenant, but there's manna from heaven. Because God wanted the generations to know that not only was he a redeemer, not only was he a deliverer, but he was a provider. And God wanted the provision that the people had experienced to become a testimony for generations to come. And can I just tell you how significant that is to me as the college pastor of this church? Like, I want to be a part of a church family that is filled with people who know how to walk the path of dependence and who have stories to tell the next generation of the exceeding faithfulness of God. And so as we close this morning, I just want to ask you the question, what will your level of dependence say to the next generation? Will it say that you insisted on your own independence and you have the chains to prove it? Or will it say that you trusted God with all of life and you have the stories of provision to prove it. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a person who has stories to share with the next generation of the God who provides. We will experience his provision as we place ourselves in positions of dependence. He provided then, he will, be, he will provide now, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's be people who daily depend upon him because daily dependence upon God is the path to freedom. Would you pray with me? Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.